0: You're Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny Wu, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. We're not done here. The Warriors fell to the Cleveland Cavaliers 137-116 in Game 4. There will be a Game 5 at Oracle on Monday. Wanted to talk about Game 4, of course. And my guest is another first-time Locked On Warriors guest, but one of my longtime friends in the media business, Steve Berman, otherwise known as Barry, a sports guy. We talk about the game, the officiating, LeBron, Kyrie, Steph Curry's bad night, and everything in between. And the conversation runs about 35 minutes. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: There are a lot of different ways that we can go with this conversation, but I wanted to open it up to you first. I think that's fair. What was your biggest takeaway? What was most notable to you about this game?
2: Just Cleveland's numbers from three-point range were just unbelievable. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what it it ended up being at the end. Uh, I know that they had more three-point makes than twos in this game, and, yeah, 24 to 22 – and at 53% on threes. It wasn't just the officiating that gave uh, Cleveland so many open opportunities, and the Warriors on the other end, really no one had a great shooting game. I think the best one was maybe Clay, four of ten. You know, Kevin, two of nine. Steph, two of nine. If you look at that, and you know, Draymond, one of six, and they're obviously leaving him open. Just the three-point disparity. They made thirteen more threes than the Warriors did, and you know they only won. They didn't win by thirty-nine, but it seemed like it at times.
0: Yeah, it was a very impressive performance from Cleveland, and I, I do want to do absolutely nothing to detract from that. I thought they were they were excellent. They they're eighty-six points in the first half were the most in a first half of a playoff game in NBA history, beating 83 in, I think it was 1962. So like that's even just a totally different thing. That's like when we go to the Westbrook stats and you're looking at when the pace was totally different. In the first half, 28 of 46 from the field, 13 of 22 from three. They were just hitting everything. And the Warriors weren't playing their best defense. I think we could be pretty candid about that. That was It wasn't their best performance. And Cleveland was doing a good job. And I always felt like... Cleveland had you know they have a chance to win every single game in this series but against anybody else because that's what they can do and I also thought what was significant early in the game was that they were playing better defense than they had at other points in the series too
2: yeah I thought in game one it was almost shocking how little they were even trying to get deflections and in this game and, and in parts of game three when they were playing well defensively just way more active I mean they talked about you know being more physical Kerr talked about them being more physical I think Kevin Love did in the beginning, and I think that was part of it, and I think the Warriors were, uh, I don't know, apathetic is the word, but definitely pretty lax on defense. It, it, when, when you talks about that first half, I, I'm going to actually probably take back my 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 takeaway my main takeaway from this game maybe not the three pointers but the fact that they had 40 had a 49 point first quarter that was ridiculous but yeah their defense was still pretty good i mean the warriors were on pace for 100 i think 36 points in the game at halftime but it still it didn't seem that way it seemed like the the cavaliers were a lot more spirited defensively
0: And something that struck me, and this is actually going to be the lead of my piece for The Athletic, is I think it's finally time to separate out that the Warriors' best lineup is not a lineup that plays very much. And Steve Kerr knows this. This is not ambiguous. When they wanted to try to come back late, they went to the Hamptons 5, the death lineup, whatever you want to call it. and. I understand that they want to keep Tristan Thompson neutralized a little bit. Tristan Thompson is not so central to Cleveland's success that you need to justify playing a center as much as they do and playing Andre Iguodala just 21 minutes in the whole game.
2: Yeah, it is weird that the numbers for Iguodala, it seemed like game one was the same way. I think he played only 24 minutes and you look back at finals pass, and he's playing well over 30 a game against Cleveland. And you know, Is his knee still bothering him? Is, is that the issue? And he's just able to give them 20 minutes plus, and that's all. But, yeah, I think not only is the Hamptons 5 lineup being underutilized, but I think a lot of people you're probably seeing complain about the fact that Curry and Durant are off the floor at the same time for different points of the game. And a lot of people, I think... Myself included, kinda of wonder if maybe now is the time to always have at least one of those two on the floor. And also just the amount of time that Steph has the ball in his hand seems like it was was kind of minimal in this game. And and in a game like this where it seems like some things were being called pretty closely, especially in the first quarter, but a lot of stuff wasn't. There's was a lot of off ball contact that wasn't being called and the way to to beat that, I think, is to get Steph the ball instead of having him run around and get knocked around by guys.
0: Exactly, and it ties in with how Cleveland was able to come back from down 3-1 last year, was that they held a lot off the ball, they got Curry out of it a little bit, he was also hurt, I mean, that's another part of it, but, you know, yeah, Steph had, had 79 touches in this game, that was less than Draymond, who had the most at 92, Durant was at 69, and 55 of those were passes. He did have 10 assists, but he wasn't as assertive. And it's so much easier with the way that the NBA is being called now to do that when a guy is on the ball, because when a guy's on the ball and you're and he's being grabbed, they're going to call it like, that's just the way the league works off ball. You know, the refs are looking at a million things at once. They're only three on the court. They're going to miss that from time to time. And Curry has gotten better about flopping and all of that sort of stuff. But I I don't think that you can ever be so good at off-ball like flopping or just accentuating contact or anything that refs are actually going to spend their time looking at it because they have other stuff to do.
2: Yeah, and I I think the Warriors did let this stuff get to their head a little bit too much, especially early on when the Cavs are parading to the free-throw line as often as they were. And Obviously, that gets frustrating and there's no flow to the game. But the Warriors also made a lot of silly turnovers and and did a lot of things, a lot of bonehead things defensively as well that you you don't see from them very often, especially in the playoffs when they're undefeated. And you you brought up Draymond getting so many touches, and it's pretty clear what Cleveland's thought is. I mean, if you look at the best players in the Warriors, the only guy who hasn't played well in the series, now that Clay Thompson had come around in the last two games, was Draymond Green. Offensively, Draymond has been pretty much a zero in the series. He hasn't really been hitting that many shots and even as a playmaker he hasn't really been making that many good decisions as you're used to and so I mean defensively sure he's been he's been decent but he's also been foul prone I think they see Draymond as, as a guy who they want to target a lot like in game four last year and, and I'm not gonna I don't think they're gonna be a suspension of any kind but I think Cleveland definitely sees Draymond right now at least the way he's playing currently in this slump is a bit of a weakness for them offensively
0: he's made a lot of bad passes it has been shocking how many like yeah he he can have turnovers and all also- that but there are plays where he th- throws these like zero chance passes to somebody else or actually more accurately usually to a calf And it's not like you're getting as many of the good ones. So the ratio is off. And when the ratio is off, that becomes a problem. And I think that was a little bit of the issue for Steph in this one. Not as bad as game two when he was just throwing the ball all over the gym. But it's something to watch moving forward because the way that, I mean, the way that you can beat the Warriors is by getting them out of their game. And uh, Nate and I talked about this. We did the Twitter NBA show today. And like the phrase I used was that they looked like they were on tilt to use an old poker thing. Like they, they were just off. And that happens to this team. I mean, as great as they are, when they lose, sometimes they lose really badly. And full credit to Cleveland, I think Cleveland did a lot to force that. But they also got in their own heads, and that's never a
2: good thing. No, it's not. You could tell they were frustrated. There was, And there was all those sequences that didn't make a lot of sense. Not just the one where the technical foul was called on Draymond, and then they said that the one in the first half was actually on Kerr. And, and and all that's business and all the different reviews, but but just in the first half, there was a lot of a lot of contact that was called, but then a lot of, that was kind of weird, and a lot of contact that wasn't called. And I I think the the Warriors definitely have been locked in mentally as well as they have. It, at some point, you were going to get a lapse, and I think it was probably just a little bit too much to ask for this team to come out when the Cavs were obviously pretty upset by some of the comments. They say that golden state made you know after game three and but it's a lot to ask for them to come out and you know have a 30 to 16 first quarter like you'd see against portland or utah i mean the Cavs, is as well as the warriors have played in the series up to this point the cavaliers are still a pretty good team there's a reason why no one was predicting a sweep going into the series
0: it also aligns with something that I found really interesting in the series, which is that I think Cleveland has played better in each game. The Warriors, that has been kind of hit or miss. That's just the way they are sometimes. You know, they've they've been, until today, I think they've been variants of good or great. But Cleveland, I think they've been better each game. They lost game three, but they I thought that was a, a much better performance. They were awful in game one, and they lost that game going away, unsurprisingly. And so the question is, is that just their guys stepping up, or are there adjustments that they're making? And I think it's some of column A and some of column B.
2: Yeah, I, I. It seems like it seems like Kevin Love they kind of ride and die with him because you know in in these these closeout games that LeBron and Kyrie it sounds it seems like are just going to do LeBron and Kyrie things, and so Kevin and the Warriors they were able to withstand that in Game Three, and Kevin Love all of a sudden out of nowhere hits six threes. And every one of them seemed like a backbreaking three, where the Warriors were, had climbed within 11, and you're starting to think, okay, well, I guess this is the way that the Warriors are going to cap the season with a crazy comeback. And then you, and, uh, Kyrie had a lot of these dagger shots as well. But at, at this point, you know, I think we just saw today what we expected in Game Three, where it wasn't just LeBron and Kyrie, but the entire team giving them something. And, you know, it, it, I guess you weren't going to hold this team down that long. I mean, Shumpert actually gave them some some decent minutes, obviously a little bit of theatrics, but I think he did well there. Uh, you know, Corver hit a three. You're looking at uh, GR Smith, who was just going crazy in the first quarter. It, there was just – I think there's just no way that the Warriors are going to be mentally strong this entire time and the Cavs weren't. But I do agree, there might be some something to the fact where Tyron Lue – uh, who probably argue outcoached Steve Kerr in the latter half of the finals last year. Maybe there's a little bit of outcoaching going on, at least in the last couple games.
0: I think there has been, and something that I'm pointing to as being important in this series now is that Draymond Green, when Petrulia or any of the other centers is on the floor, he's often guarding Kevin Love, and the fundamental problem there is he can't be an active helper near the restricted area when Kevin Love's on the floor, because he just can't be in two places at once, as great as he is, and Love is very good at moving without the ball. He's a smart player who can get to the right spots, and so Draymond, sometimes like there was one Three off an offensive rebound where he just lost Kevin Love. He just, he was looking at LeBron, I think it was, and LeBron just hit Love. That sort of thing can happen, but it's another reason to me why Kerr is reluctant to play those sorts of Draymond at center lineups are really actually hurting him because he can't be where he needs to be physically on the floor.
2: Yeah, he he can't, and you, and you you wonder if maybe they're worried about foul trouble for Draymond if he has to battle with Tristan down low. Is but it seems like that wouldn't really be such an issue because they actually let you get away with a lot more stuff when you're jostling for rebounds and, and for position. Really, the closer to the basket you are, the less liable you are to get called for something. Uh so yeah, I don't understand if if maybe that's something that they're gonna do in in game five is play Draymond Mort Center. I mean, we saw it in game five and six of the two thousand fifteen finals when you know Kerr didn't seem like it was gonna happen just because Andrew Boga was such a huge part of the team, but then all of a sudden Andrew Boga isn't playing and Iguodala's Iguadala's out there for that entire time starting even in game six. You know, I, you kind of wonder if, if Kerr is going to do what he did last year and just sort of stand pat and figure, well, we're in a really good position. We were up three to one. We're the better team, so we'll just go with what got us here and sort of ride or die with that, with the sort of strength. The numbers ideal, and is he going to do the same thing this time? Because obviously, three to one going back home. It's a great position, and I think Kirk kind of believes in stuff like you don't want to look like you're desperate. You don't want to look like you're scrambling or mentally worried about what the other team is doing. But I, I, th- I think in this case, an adjustment may be needed because, I mean, other than just getting in people's way on his own team a lot of the times, I mean, I don't really know what Zaza's bringing that is really that important. Like you said, Tristan Thompson, I, I think he had a better game tonight, obviously, and, and, and he said after the game that he didn't want anyone to punk him. No one's going to punk Tristan Thompson – but yeah, he, he's not, you know, a top three player in the on this team like he was last year.
0: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And something that has struck me, while I, I think Kerr is an excellent coach and, you know, the, the changes that he's made to the Warriors system and their approach cannot be denied, he is very conservative as a head coach in terms of schemes and systems and all that. And I think the strength of numbers mentality helps them... Throughout just because the idea that you know, guys are buying in next band up. I mean, there are a million examples you could use. I, w- I would point to a more recent one of Durant's injury. You know, guys went into larger roles than they'd had before, including McCaw and Iguadalla, and they did well. Matt Barnes did well. You don't need to do that in the finals. You're facing the best of the best. You know how many games are left in the season. Just ride your horses a little bit harder. And yeah, I mean, Curry, Durant, Draymond, those guys all played about 40 minutes. Clay played 35. That's, you know, that's closer. But it's it's so strange that we're having this conversation again, considering I would say that was one of the largest contributing factors beyond injuries and Cleveland playing great basketball towards their loss last year.
2: Yeah, I, I'm just I'm looking at what what you said earlier about Iguodala playing a little bit more, and the box score. I mean, every single warrior here is negative. I mean, some of them are only negative one because they were in the game for garbage time, except for except for Andre Iguodala is a plus nine. <laughs> you know, and I, I, that stat obviously is one that can. Uh, be faulty for a number of reasons but you, you kind of wonder is is it a situation where they feel like he is not health-wise able to guard LeBron one-on-one for long periods of time and offensively he doesn't bring enough so you don't want to have him playing 35 plus minutes a game but it, it you kind of wonder if, if maybe he is actually pretty productive on the floor because it seems like uh, the units that he was in were the ones that brought the Warriors back to a little bit more respectable deficit and if you look at what the uh, what he did last year, I mean, until his back got injured, he was one of the better players on the floor as well. And I, something has is, is got to a, a change, I think, a little bit, though, just with the Curry and Durant situation and, and not having both of them on the floor at the same time. And I, I understand it, he is really conservative, Curry is. And I know that it, what when you talk about Durant being out and all the guys coming in and having bigger roles, I think he's great at that kind of thing. That's a very Phil Jackson-y kind of deal is you're, you're sort of playing the long game in the regular season. You don't really care if you get a win. You, want, you kind of ride with guys and don't call timeout. Let them struggle through things so that when there's pressure situations in the playoffs, they're actually really ready for those situations, maybe even more than people thought. But in this case, it's like <laughs> you see the finish line. Don't worry about you know making sure that uh, somebody is is going to be good next year in the playoffs because they got they got experience this year. I, I think it's time maybe to uh, m- maybe no Javale at all. <laughs> also, I, I don't see what he's doing defensively that helps whatsoever. And I think 15 minutes for Zaza is too many.
0: I also think that they need to play if they're going to play a bi- a, tr- a bi- traditional center. And it's not even fair to call him this. It should be David West. David West is, he moves the best because he's a power forward. He moves the best. He's the smartest of those guys. And so he fits in with what Cleveland's doing. I mean, Cleveland has basically gone to an approach where they're only playing one real center ever. Sometimes they're playing Love. Sometimes they're playing LeBron and then Tristan. That's it. No Channing Frye really recently. So then the Warriors, I mean, they're better playing small than anybody else is. So why are you playing big when the other team is playing small? And it was so surprising to see Petrulia just staying out there because it wasn't like in the third quarter, it wasn't like he was playing super well. They weren't really cutting into the lead. He wasn't setting these amazing screens. He was active. You know, he wasn't terrible. But the other thing is that having Patrulia out there in particular, it gives Cleveland an easy place to attack when, they, when they're running out of ideas. And so they can just go yeah. after it. And the Warriors, at their best moments in these playoffs, have done the same thing to other teams. It's, you know, find that find that weak point and go after it. You know, obviously you can run your stuff, and both of these teams are so talented offensively that they don't need to capitalize on mismatches all the time. But it's a great fallback. And they're giving, Kerr is giving Cleveland a lot of latitude in that way. And JaVale's kind of the same way, but at least JaVale brings a dynamism offensively that maybe they could use. And again, it goes back to the idea of the stability of the Warriors' rotations. Lou has been able to use that against them because he, basically he knows that David West isn't going to play in the first, first and third quarters. So that's you can true. Go, to, go to some of these things. It's like, oh, well, they're not going to do it. One thing I will give Kirk credit for is that he went away from Ian Clark in the second half because Ian Clark cannot play against Kyrie Irving. Like, that's just something they need to go <laughs> away from permanently. And so that's good. Kudos. Went to McCaw. I thought McCaw did a better job. You know, they still got – they got kind of worked in those minutes, but that wasn't McCaw's fault. And so that's why you don't want to look at individual players plus minus or something like that. But right. it's – notable that you know the the best players on cleveland other than love he only played 29 this game you know those guys are getting pushed hard they get the ball in their hands a lot they're getting all that and then for the warriors it bounces around a little bit and another point that i think warriors fans aren't going to like is that while i didn't like the broad scope part of how this game was officiated just in terms of it was called a little bit too tight there was some awkwardness and all that sort of stuff i actually thought game three was less fair to the warriors than game four I thought Game Three, you know, they were they, they were calling some tiki attack stuff, but it was uneven. Game Four, I just thought the Cavs were being more aggressive and the Warriors were committing stupid fouls. And then there were some weird contact plays that went against them. But that's, you know, that's kind of the the arm flailing equivalent of a make or miss league.
2: Yeah, that I that, I don't really believe the whole deal of the officials <laughs> gave Cleveland this game by any means. I mean, I guess you could look at the butterfly effect. Oh, maybe if if this call was made differently, then you know the Cleveland wouldn't have gotten this open three or that open three but uh, one yeah I think that the the tenor the game just got so weird in the third quarter and it was you know it's kind of the the downfall of of modern officiating because of all the replays that happen and it's kind of weird in the NBA it's like it's not like calls where were you out of bounds or did you hit a three or two most of the the long replays are How hard was this foul, and was there, like, intent to injure? You know, it was was an unnecessary contact on the flagrant, and it just takes so long. And Zaza Pachulia was in the middle of a lot of that stuff. And, you know, maybe a lot of people have been saying uh, after the game that, you know, Zaza might get a one-game suspension because uh, he apparently threw a shot uh, with, you know, up to – Toward the boys of Iman Shumpert when they're all on the ground tussling and you know maybe it'll be like a Draymond Part Two kind of situation. I'm not sure if Zaza would get suspended for what was occurring because he pretty much got arm tackled by Kyle Korver on the play and I don't know if he even made contact. But hey, if, if Zaza gets suspended, then maybe that's actually a good thing for the Warriors, It'd be like the having Anderson Vergel suspended for uh, some of those games in the finals last year.
0: Yeah, I mean you could put a trigger warning on that, but. I think that what what the thing that's a, a good point of clarification. I'm happy you brought it up because I, I like bringing this up. The reason Draymond Green was suspended was, I mean, obviously the direct cause was him taking a swing at LeBron's boys, but that he was not suspended for that play. He was suspended for an accumulation of flagrant fouls of which yeah. that play was one of them. That was one of four, you know, cause he had the tackling Beasley, the double flagrant on the kick on Stephen Adams and then that. So it would be shocking to see less, a less aggressive version of the same thing be an ejection. But yeah, you can make an argument that it would, it would be better for the Warriors, though it's not like, in the past I mean Kerr lost Andrew Bogut at almost this exact same time last year his reaction was not to go small at the time I mean maybe a little bit in, in game six and seven but it was to just go big with different guys that was game five was I believe the one when we saw a bunch of James Michael Mack it was five or six and yeah he's just conservative that's what he is and he's an excellent coach he believes in his guys but it's so shocking because we know like you could tell by the way he uses the players that he knows what his best lineups are and just to see that so rarely the death lineup had only played 12 minutes before tonight to see that sort of a thing when the stakes are as high as they are and we all know how good Cleveland is yes they were down 3-0 but they are a spectacular team especially offensively and the big difference this year is it's unambiguous that the Warriors best defensive lineups are small ball too because their centers are just different
2: what do you think of uh, Kevin Durant play in the first quarter it, it seemed to me like that he it was the first time really in a warrior's uniform even the beginning of the season when it seemed like you know it, it was going to be kind of a lot of pressure on him because it was his first games after you know being the big trader and switching sides but this is the i don't know the first quarter to me it seemed like he really calmed down after this but the first quarter seemed like it was the first time that he actually kind of looked nervous as a warrior
0: yeah, he definitely seemed off, kind of on both ends of the floor. I didn't see him as active defensively, you know, in terms of being a helper or something like that. He did have that nice block on Kyrie later in the game. But yeah, it was it was strange. And the whole offense was really disjointed early. I mean, Curry was basically a ghost. You know, the shots he took were these kind of like contested ones, basically just because he felt like he was in rhythm. He was 0 for 5 overall, 0 for 4 from 3. He did get those two free throws. But he was kind of off in that way. He was passive. They were holding him a lot all that sort of stuff, and Dur- and Durant was kind of the small forward equivalent of that, and it was surprising to see because it kind of felt like I, I get what you're saying, that he had kind of passed that point, but yet it's still, you know, it, it reared itself, and again, I think what a-, what a point I wanted to make is that in a lot of ways, this game was represented a real worst-case scenario for the Warriors. I mean, beyond a bunch of guys getting in foul trouble early, the team getting on tilt collectively early, just missing shots. Like, I would say, tell me if you disagree, I don't think any Warrior had a good game. I'm not even sure any Warrior had an average game for them in this. Anybody, 1-15. to to one to 15.
2: Yeah, I, I would say, other than shot-making, Sean Livingston didn't do a whole lot. And he was the one guy who was five for seven. So you kind of look at that and say, okay, well, maybe he was productive. But, you know, overall, I didn't think he made much of an impact either way. And so, yeah, I would agree. It was, <laughs> was worst-case scenario time for all of these guys. And I think a lot a lot of it, too, is when – this is kind of like a modern NBA kind of thing. You're seeing so many blowouts in these playoffs. But I think a lot of it is, you know, when, when teams are, are hitting threes – The other team kind of feels like they have to come back with threes or else they're going to just fall further and further behind. And the Warriors shot a lot of threes that weren't in any sort of rhythm whatsoever. I mean one of them that comes to my mind is Ian Clark who for some reason hesitated, then took a dribble or two and then shot an air ball. Uh, you had some, you had some uh, Clay Thompson threes that were just ridiculous attempts. And, and Clay is known for taking the wildest shots of all time. And a lot of times they go in. But, uh, but some of them, it, it was almost like step back threes that 30 feet away. Uh, and, and then Steph was was just sort of weird and all out of sorts the entire game. And surprisingly, it had four turnovers that seemed like more. I mean, the fact that the Warriors only had 12 turnovers in the game was actually kind of an amazing stat. What's weird is the also they they held the Cavs to a pretty respectable total in the second half after getting blown away in the first half. The Cavs only scored 51 points, which at this pace is is not that many. But they only scored 48 of their own, so... Yeah, it's, it's one of those deals where when the defense doesn't get going in the first quarter for the Warriors, it can sometimes be something they have to come back from, and usually they do, but tonight the Cavs are just too good and there was no coming back from this.
0: It was also a weird game because, I mean, obviously the way they're listed is a little bit off, but neither team broke double digits in fast break points. You had a, yeah. game, you had a game that was ended 137 to 116 and the teams combined for 17 fast break points. Completely wild, but I, I think the biggest take, like well, the, not the biggest takeaway, the, the most impressive moment of the game for me was that LeBron alley-oop to himself, basically, and that play, I feel like it could happen a lot more because it actually takes advantage of a, a weird idea that we think about sometimes more, I think about it more with football, I know you're a football guy as well, where the offense always knows what they're trying to do and the defense is always trying to react. And so the idea behind throwing a ball off the backboard to yourself is it's going to take the other team so long to figure out what the heck is going on that you get that extra like step or two. And that's LeBron got caught dead. He got caught flat-footed just like, crap, I don't have anything to do. And then he just throws the ball off the backboard to himself and dunks it.
2: Yeah, and you can, it was one of those plays, too, where you can almost see it coming before it did. When uh, When he saw him get caught, immediately I thought, he's he's gonna get this back and i didn't know i didn't know he was gonna be able to throw a perfect pass to himself but of course he did he's lebron he can throw perfect passes to anyone including himself and yeah i, I think it's one of those deals where especially with the floor so much more spaced out than it was years ago that you you have times when it is wide open in the lane because he was able just to run free when, once he realized that you know, clay actually i think you know, kind of hedged towards him and then just ran off into the corner expecting a, a pass out to the corner and LeBron was just like well there's no one in front of me what do I do here I I'm definitely not in rhythm to actually try to shoot a floater that's not really my game anyway so I'll just do this and, and become the biggest gif of the game
0: yeah that was that was really impressive so we'll end this on a, a very basic question which is how are you feeling about game five now that we saw game four
2: I, I think we're going to see a Warriors defensive effort that is probably infinitely better than we saw in the first quarter of, of game four. I, I think, I think the Warriors are going to blitz them. This is the first time that they've had an opportunity to close out uh, at, at home in a situation where they obviously have uh, the momentum. I mean, I know the Cavs won tonight, but still the Warriors got the split and they're up three to one with Durant this time. It's not like coming back with the, no Draymond and, and Joe Lakeham wearing a Draymond shirt and the jersey in the, in the crowd, and Draymond watching the game at the Coliseum next door. And it's not like Game Seven last year where the Warriors were obviously clenching, and it was one of those deals where they're on the on the verge of the biggest collapse in NBA history. This time, uh, they know that they could beat the Cavs whenever they play a good game—not even a great game, but a good game—and I, I think we're going to see a great defensive game from them. Uh, on Monday and I don't think it's going to be close. What's exciting
0: is both of these teams are eminently capable of beating the other on their home floor. We've seen a lot of it over the course of these 3 years. This was actually the first time that the Cavs have won a game 4 in the NBA Finals in their franchise history because they lost it not only yeah. to the Warriors the other two times but to the Ca- to the uh, Spurs back in 2007. And obviously the Cavs have won at Oracle more than a few times. So I'm excited about it as a basketball fan from that perspective. And I think that from a Warriors perspective, the idea of really getting a worst case scenario game in some ways is a good thing for them because a, they were even despite all of that, they still had a chance in the fourth quarter. I mean, it got away from them pretty quickly, but they still had a chance. And now it forces the coaching staff, the players to evaluate and they know what it they know what it takes to win, but they also know what it what what it takes to lose. And I think generally speaking, if you you know if you played this 100 times, I think the Warriors, you know, at a neutral side, I think the Warriors win, you know, 60-65% of the time. And you know, that variance is is plenty that you, either team can win a given game. But it doesn't take much off of where they were tonight for the Warriors to end up winning, especially when you shift home home and away.
2: Yeah, I, I think the first quarter to me is just enormous. What, what's going to happen then, if the, if the Cavs come out and start the way they did tonight and pretty much hit every single shot regardless of difficulty and the Warriors are bogged down offensively and have a couple stupid turnovers – And the Cavs have the, you know, a lead going into the second quarter and the crowd starts murmuring. Then all bets are off. (laughs) And we could see a series for the ages, I just, at this point, I feel like the Warriors know how to avoid that kind of situation. And I don't think that they played with, as, as Kerr would say, the appropriate fear that they needed to tonight. I know the Cavs actually won this. It was a situation where the Warriors gave the game to the Cavs, but I don't think the Warriors played with anywhere near the kind of mental focus required to win a game in this situation tonight. And I just, I can't see that happening twice in a row. And, and like you said, I, the worst case scenario thing has got to give them some confidence because they, they were awful, awful, awful in so many ways. And I still did think they were probably going to win this game, game when the fourth quarter started.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was certainly a case for it. I mean, I thought that they were going to go to some of those bad second units, and they went to a, a, a variant of it, but... Something, you you brought this up a little bit. I hope I'm wrong, both, you know, more more just because I like a good atmosphere. I feel like it's going to be very, very tight at Oracle, at least at the very beginning, like the first quarter of Game 5, probably like it was in Game 7 last year. And then, you know, it can get raucous, it can get defiant. I actually think the best Oracle crowds are when things are worse at some point during it, because then that gives them the sense of appreciation. The best crowd they've had during the championship run is the one at the end of game one of the spurs of the spurs series so i want to see how they react to it but i think they're going to start just incredibly tight
2: that's that's very possible and the only thing that uh, really gets a tight oracle crowd going is not just a three but a steph curry three if steph is on then the crowd loosens up real quickly it, it, even if they have a you know a lead you know say a four point six point seven point lead, uh, it, if Steph isn't really doing much, the crowd just kind of is like waiting for Steph to do his thing, and uh, so if if Steph plays the way that he did tonight, then I think the crowd's going to be really tight.
0: Yeah, I certainly think that's true. Any anything else you think that when we're telling the story of this game that we need to include? Oh, I have mm. one. You yeah. were watching on TV. I had no audio. Did they have a clear explanation for the whole first technical being on Kerr or Draymond and that whole thing? Because it was completely dumbfounding for me without audio.
2: I'm still dumbfounded, and I think the announcers were too. The, the announcers kind of felt like that it was just made up on the fly to keep Draymond in the game, and they said that that you know that when they gave the the first technical to Kerr, Apparently, I can't remember the, the names of uh, of who's doing what, but I, I guess one of the officials did tell another official during that first technical that it was on Kerr. And I actually thought when the technical occurred that it was on Kerr too, but then they just said it was on Draymond, and they, showed, they kept showing replays of Draymond on the first one with Shumpert. So I just kind of assumed it was Draymond. And so when Draymond got called for that second one and you know started motioning for the with the crowd and getting into it and it's i was just like i can't believe draymond green got his second technical foul in this game you know this is a is this gonna be like a collapse like last year for him mentally and then all of a sudden the you know it took forever for them to to wrap it up but yeah i I don't know. I, I don't know if it was funny business. I don't think it was. I think the first one actually was on Kerr, and it was just a big confusion. But the official scorer had the first technical foul as Draymond, so it took a while to unravel that one.
0: Yeah, I think that was a part of it, too. And the official who called it was turned towards Kerr when he did so. And like they're, they were in somewhat different places relative to that ref's angle. And it it was so weird to me that I I thought they did a more formal process for saying who a technical foul was on. It seemed bizarre to me that it went that long without, you know, whether it was that they changed it ex post facto or whether it was just that they had it wrong. I mean, I thought I always maybe it's just my own brain. I I thought that there was a a better way of saying this technical foul is on this person.
2: Yeah, the whole thing was weird. This officiating crew definitely lost control in a lot of ways and I think they they might not get another finals assignment for an, a few years here because a lot of people are talking about how how embarrassing this was for the NBA. I mean, and I'm not talking about you know the idea of things being rigged or anything like that because I don't really believe in that at all. But just just the fact that it took them so long to sort so many things out. It wasn't just this one. It was you know the, the and why they let Kevin Durant and LeBron James jawed each other. I mean, I guess you know it was, it was good theater, but there was a lot of times when play was stopped just because LeBron James was talking to an official. And it just and it would be stopped for like 10, 20 extra seconds. It just seemed like the, the officials lost confidence in themselves almost as the game went on and wanted to make sure that they didn't do anything too quickly or too rash. They wanted to check on every single replay possible. And it gave the game no flow whatsoever. I mean, talk about the NFL. Whenever Jeff Triplett is the head official in a game, I know it's going to be a weird, wacky game with – a lot of long reviews and weird explanations of calls. And that was kind of the way tonight was.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And I don't really have anything more to add to that. So I'll just say thank you so much for coming on.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Danny.
0: Thanks again to Steve Berman for taking the time to come on. You can read him at his... Monolith, Barry Sports Guy, Barriasports You can follow him on Twitter at B A Sports Guy. B-A-S-P-O-R-T-S-G-Y. Just like you'd think. Really enjoyed talking with him. And I'm guessing I don't know this for sure. That I, I will be back on Monday night. I know I'll be back on Monday night for game five. I I don't know if I'm gonna do a Sunday night show. I, I might just cede that to Drew and Grant. We'll see how that goes. I'm legitimately unsure, haven't figured all this out at this moment. So definitely take a look and keep. That's why you keep subscribing and downloading every episode of Locked on Warriors because you can keep an eye on that and you can leave a rating leave a review I actually went through I hadn't read reviews I generally don't do that very much because I don't want to but uh, I went through some today and it really did mean a lot it was it was very nice lots of very polite things about me and that's always appreciated so you can do that hopefully you continue enjoying the show with Drew and Grant and of course I'm still continuing until this series ends and we don't know when that's going to be also you can read my work for The Athletic I will have a game analysis piece which will probably probably go up on Friday night and then I will have a, the every player stuff will go up probably on Saturday morning, maybe early afternoon, depending on my own timing. And then of course I'm going to record the dunked on basketball podcast with Nate Duncan. We're going to do that before most of you have listened to this. It's going to, we're going to start recording in just a little bit. So you can check all of that out. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue at gmail.com at Danny on Twitter. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I have read a lot of the nice stuff that I've gotten, uh, uh, in terms of what you, what you all people want next year from me, I appreciate that very, very much. And I will consider it. I'm not going to, I don't again, I don't have the time to respond to everybody, but I do appreciate it. I am reading everything and I do appreciate it. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great
1: day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs.